What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. All right, then we're ready to go. Good afternoon, everyone. I hope you all had a great weekend. The president spent uh, his weekend in a series of meetings with White House staff and advisors, planning for a full and productive week. On Saturday, as many of you saw, the president had a working lunch uh, with several members of his team, including Homeland Security Kelly, Treasury Secretary Mnuchin, Commerce Secretary Ross, Veterans Secretary Shulkin, uh, and members of his White House staff, during which they discussed uh, immigration reform and their efforts to repeal and replace Obamacare. Over the weekend, the vice president went down to Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, He was joined by Governor Matt Bevin for a listening session with over a dozen small business owners from Kentucky to discuss the burdens that Obamacare has inflicted on their businesses. Uh, The Kentucky business owners shared in detail how Obamacare is negatively affecting their businesses and reiterated their support for repealing our current health care system and replacing it with one that actually works. This morning, after receiving his intelligence briefing, the President led another listening session on health care with Secretary of Health and Human Services Dr. Tom Price. The President and Secretary Price heard from nine concerned Americans from across the country who have been failed by the broken promises of Obamacare, as well as two doctors who have seen their patients suffer from the law's misguided rules and requirements. This listening session was another important step in the process of crafting and implementing an effective patient-centered health care. Americans have been watching their health care costs skyrocket, while their choices of providers, insurancers, and insurers have dwindled for years. They've received those cancellations in the mails many as, to- as three times. Uh, they've seen urgent care and emergency rooms filled with people who can't afford their high deductibles and resorted to enduring the pain or sickness until they had no choice but to go to a hospital. They've had family members with chronic pre-existing conditions whose cost of health care is more than doubled. And they've been forced to let go of valued employees or, frankly, unable to hire more due to staggering workers' compensation increases. The president campaigned on a pledge to re- repeal and replace this unraveling system. The American Health Care Act is one part of fulfilling this pledge. It's far from the only one. He's using administrative action to provide essential regulatory relief to insurers, increasing coverage choices, and providing lower premium options to individuals and families. He will continue to work with Congress on the additional legislation, the part of this three-pronged strategy, to increase choice while decreasing prices, including allowing health insurance to be sold across state lines, adding to the list of health care-related costs patients conduct with their health savings accounts, streamlining the process at the FDA so that lower-priced generic medicine gets to the market faster, inviting small business to band together to negotiate for lower health insurance for all their employees, and reforming the medical malpractice lawsuit system so that doctors are not forced to perform unnecessary and costly procedure and tests out of fear of future litigation. Our health care system is large, complex, and critically important not only to the health of our citizens, but to the health of our economy. Through common sense, patient-focused reforms, the President will work with Congress to create a new system that doesn't impose a one-size-fits-all, government-knows-best vision on the American people. 
we will empower the American people to make their own choices about health care that make them best work for themselves and their family that will bring costs for everyone down. After the listening session, the President had lunch with Vice President Pence and Secretary of Transportation Chow. Later this afternoon, the President will welcome all of the, his confirmed Cabinet members to the White House for their first Cabinet meeting. This meeting is an important opportunity for the President to share his vision with the country with his Cabinet members, providing direction for them to bring back to their agencies and departments to ensure that the entire administration is working towards the same goals. Unfortunately, this afternoon you'll see some empty chairs around the table representing the President's four nominees who have yet to be confirmed by the Senate. Secretary of Agriculture designee Governor Perdue, Secretary of Labor designee Alex Acosta, Director of National Intelligence designee former Senator Coates, and United States Trade Representative designee Robert Lighthizer. Senate Democrats have drawn out this entire process for way too long, and these key agencies and departments will not be represented at the President's first Cabinet meeting. The President is confident that these unquestionable abilities of the confirmed Cabinet members that will be in attendance, he is just as confident in the demonstrated quality of the four individuals, individuals who will not be able to attend. Their absence will clearly be felt as this administration comes together for the first time to receive guidance uh, from and provide counsel to the President on these unique areas of jurisdiction. Following the Cabinet meeting, the President will sign an executive order to reorganize the federal government. This order requires a thorough examination of every executive department and agency to identify money where money is being wasted and how services can be improved and whether or not the programs are truly serving the American people. This is the beginning of a long overdue reorganization of the federal government and another significant step towards the President's often stated goal of making it more efficient, effective, and accountable to the American people. This evening, the President will have dinner with Secretary of State Tillerson and National Security Advisor McMaster. Uh, also, he hopes to see Seema Verma confirmed as the Administrator of Senators for Medicare and Medicaid Services, another unquestionably qualified nominee who's been shamelessly prevented from taking her position at a critical post. Uh, let me just kind of touch on the week ahead. Tomorrow, uh, we, based on the current forecast, we are currently in conversations in contact with uh, officials in the Chancellor's Office in Germany regarding the visit. We'll have an update regarding that visit later today. On Wednesday, the President will visit Detroit for a trip focusing on job creation and automobile manufacturing. He will meet with auto executives and workers and manufacturing suppliers, highlighting the need to eliminate burdensome regulations that needlessly hinder meaningful job growth. Also on Wednesday, the President will visit Nashville, where he will lay a wreath at President Andrew Jackson's tomb at the Hermitage. And as I told you last week, uh, on Thursday, the President will welcome the uh, T-Such of Ireland for the traditional St. Patrick's Day visit. I can also confirm that uh, the Deputy Crown Prince of Saudi Arabia, Mohammed bin Aslam, uh, will have a meeting with the President on uh, Thursday of this week. Further, uh, excuse me, on, on Thursday, uh, I will have further details on that visit for you soon. And on Friday, the President will travel to Mar-a-Lago for the weekend. Uh, finally, the President is aware of the forecast for the storm that's currently threatening the Northeast. The President has been briefed by his Homeland Security Advisor and the Acting FEMA Administrator on storm preparations. He, is, um, he has directed his intergovernment of fail staff to remain in contact with governors and mayors in the path of the storm. He has directed his Acting FEMA Administrator to lean, lean forward and be prepared to help states should they require federal assistance. We urge everyone to listen to state and local leaders and public safety officials to follow their warning and closure notice. They are the best 
uh, source of information during that storm. With that, I'd be glad to take your questions. John. Uh, Sean, if I could come back to the uh, U.S. Attorney for the Southern District of New York, Preet Bharara, uh, who was asked to resign along with 46, 45 other U.S. attorneys. The President seemed to indicate not too long ago that he wanted Mr. Bharara to stay on in that job, that he was asked to resign like the other attorneys, and then he says he was fired on Saturday when he refused to resign. Did the President change his mind about keeping him on, or was it only supposed to be for a finite period of time? Can you just yeah, I, tell I, us in I'm going to refer you to the there. Department of Justice on that. I mean, I, this is a standard operating procedure for a new administration around this time to ask for the resignation of all the U.S. attorneys. We had most of them, or a good chunk of them, had already submitted their resignation letter. Uh, this is just the final swath of individuals who had not at this time. Uh, but this is common practice of, of most most um, uh, administrations. I understand that this, this happened at the DOJ and the request was from the DOJ, but there right. seems to be a, a White House connection vis-a-vis -vis the fact that the President had actually asked him to stay on, and then the President apparently called him a couple of days before he was allegedly fired. Can you tell us well, what that was all yeah, about? My, did the, the President the, change his mind? No, the, the President was calling to thank him for his service. Uh, this is a, um, a standard, as I, I said, a, a standard action that takes place at most administrations. Secretary, uh, then Attorney General Reno sent out an almost identical letter uh, in 1993. Uh, the Bush administration sent out a similar one as well. So, I mean, this is a very common practice. Um, for all political appointees, not just in the Department of Justice, but throughout government when there's a turnover administration, to ask for all individuals to do that. Major. Sean, yesterday John McCain said the President should either provide information about the allegation he put on Twitter a week ago Saturday about his phones being tapped at Trump Tower or retract the statement. Today's the deadline. What's the President going to do? Well, let's be clear. The Department of Justice was asked to put, uh, to send information down to Congress. It wasn't the White House that was asked to do that. Just so we're clear, as far as what the request was, uh, I, I understand that. And, and with the tweet, hold on. Right. And, and I think if you look at the president's tweet, he said very clearly, "quote wiretapping." In quotes, uh, there's been substantial uh, discussion in several reports. Uh, the the Brett Baer from Fox, from John's, uh, on March 3rd, talked about evidence of wiretapping. There's been reports in the New York Times and the BBC and other outlets about other aspects of surveillance that have occurred. Uh, the president was very clear in his tweet that it was, you know, wiretapping, um, that that spans a whole host of surveillance types of, of options. The House and the Senate intelligence committees uh, will now look into that and, and provide a report back. But I think that there has been numerous reports um, from a variety of outlets over the last couple months that seem to indicate that there has been um, different types of surveillance that occurred during the 2016 election. You're saying is the president doesn't have an obligation to provide any. No, evidence. I'm not saying that at all. Not not at all. What I'm saying is the request that was made from the House was to the Department of Justice. I, I think that that's an appropriate question to ask them. What I'm telling you is, from a White House perspective, there's no question um, that there have been an abundance of reports regarding surveillance and other type of activities that occurred during the 2016 election. And that leads us to believe that the president's only evidence is the are these reports. No, no, no. That 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 leads you to believe that. I'm saying I'm to you, right? And I'm saying to you is that what we made clear on that Sunday was that the House and Senate Intelligence Committees have the means, the process, and the access to go in and look at the entirety of the evidence that's being presented to them, and make a determination that they can report back to us. Sean, yeah. I right. think Sean, following up on Major's question, does the president feel he has an obligation once the investigation is over? 
to release some sort of statement in response to whatever the findings are? That's my first question. I have a second one for you. Um, well, let's, let's get there first. I think to start to presume what the outcome is going to be before the House and the Senate look at all of the evidence uh, and information and reports that are presented to them would be a bit presumptuous. So I think let, let's, let's slow down a little, let them look at everything, and then let them make a, some determinations. Okay, my second question for you, has President Trump donated his paycheck from the month of February uh, like he promised to do during the campaign? The President's intention right now uh, is to donate his salary at the end of the year, and he has uh, kindly asked that you all help determine where that goes. Uh, the, the way that we can avoid scrutiny is to let the press corps determine where it should go. He will, oh, um, in all seriousness, I think his view is he made a pledge to the American people. He wants uh, to donate it to, to charity. Uh, and he'd love your help to determine where it should go. I suggest the Correspondence Association they, for a scholarship. That would, that, would be, that would be a great way to do That would be a great way to do it. Yeah, Rob. Thanks, yeah. thanks a lot, Sean. Um, I wanted to follow up uh, with you on questions regarding Michael Flynn, who is no longer in the administration. There's a, a five-year lobbying ban that's been imposed upon all Trump administration employees. Right. Does that also apply to Michael Flynn? Would he not be permitted to lobby now? for five years because of the agreement that he signed when he became the National Security Advisor? Uh, that would be correct. I just gotta, I'd have to check and actually figure out when he signed or if he signed the form. But yes, all administration officials uh, who come in are required to sign that ethics pledge, uh, banning them from lobbying for five years and then a lifetime ban on lobbying on behalf of any foreign government. To that, what are the repercussions if uh, an employee of this administration uh, lobbies within five years? Uh, where's the teeth? What, what's the penalty? What's the punishment that would be imposed on that uh, particular uh, Trump administration employee? I'd have to get back to you, John. I don't know where whether that's a Department of Justice um, aspect or not, but I, I will get back. Yeah. Yeah, I was wondering. Did the president ask Pete Ferraro to stay on during their conversation during the transition or not? I was not privy to that conversation. Um, again, I don't, I, I'm not really sure how it's relevant. At the end of the day, um, the Department of Justice asks all remaining 46 uh, that at this time that they ask for all of them to submit their letters of resignation based on the same kind of precedent that was set during both uh, the Clinton and then the Bush um, administrations in terms of the timeline and the format. Jessica. So planning is is ongoing for a visit between President Trump and President Xi uh, at, at a date to be determined. We're not ready to confirm uh, that, and we will have more details. Um, it's the purpose uh, of this meeting, uh, of that kind of a meeting, to help diffuse tensions over uh, North Korea and the recent deployment of the THAAD military uh, battery to South Korea. Any meeting between the President of the United States and the People's Republic of China would necessarily cover a broad range of topics of mutual concern. Um, Secretary Tillerson is traveling to the region now. Um, so I think as, as we go forward, we'll have additional uh, details on the, both the timing and the, uh, the location of that when you go forward. The implication that you're saying Tillerson is traveling that he's setting up the visit, Sean? I'm sorry? Is the implication 
of you talking about Tillerson's visit that he's going to be laying well I just think it, I mean he's in the region I'm sure that in, in his visit to Japan South Korea and then China that preparations will come up as well as areas of, of mutual concern yeah no, there's been a rash of What's that? <laughs> is it me? Sure. Let's go one at a time. Uh, there's been a rash kind of, of uh, attacks on LGBT community, uh, community centers throughout the nation. Over yeah. the weekend, the community center here in D.C., Casa Ruby, was attacked and a transgender staffer was uh, assaulted. And this follows similar attacks that have taken place in recent days in Orlando, Florida, New Jersey, and Oklahoma. Uh, this is not unlike the anti-Semitism that the president has already denounced. Will the president also denounce these attacks? Sure. I mean, I think that I think one of the points that we've made in in um, previous statements on this is that this is, this is not the way that we as Americans solve our differences. We don't attack each other. Um, we don't engage in this kind of behavior. I think we have a First Amendment that allows us to express ourselves, um, and and that's the appropriate way. But doing it where you're threatening violence or destruction or vandalism. Is inappropriate in all of its forms. Connected to the uh, withdrawal, the transgender guidance, do you think? Is what? Is it all connected? I, I, I don't believe there is any connection between. I, I think that th that that would be a stretch to say the least. Yes, ma'am. Um, thanks for taking my question. I wanted to ask about North Korea. You mentioned North Korea. Can you tell us a little bit about the review of North Korea right now, and what direction you think the administration is going in terms of the relationship? You know trying to manage the threat Well, as I mentioned, Secretary Tillerson is headed to the region. He'll meet uh, with his counterparts in South Korea, Japan, and then ultimately in Beijing. Uh, that's obviously going to be a, a major subject. And as I mentioned, um, when we ultimately meet uh, with President Xi and others, uh, that'll be a discussion of something that he's talked about um, prior to the resignation of, of the last South Korean president. It was something that had been part of an ongoing discussion. Uh, so th there's an ultimate, there's an internal review that we continue to have. Um, but then there's obviously a, a geopolitical conversation that we're having with partners in the region as we look to uh, to contain North Korea's military threat. Yeah. Uh, thank you, Sean. Scott, can you confirm that uh, any cooperation with Russia with regard to Syria is off the table? And if not, is it fair to say that the forthcoming anti-ISIS plan does include some sort of cooperation with Russia? Well, I'm not going to get into what the plan. I mean, the plan's not done yet. As I mentioned a couple days ago, Secretary Mattis uh, was briefing. Uh, the principles and um, and that plan is continuing to evolve. So I'm not going to start to rule out one country, but I think the president has been very clear in the past that if a country shares our commitment to defeating ISIS and we can work to them in an area of shared mutual um, concern, then we will do so. Uh, second question: uh, The Kremlin spokesperson uh, said that. Uh, Russian President Putin and President Trump will meet at the uh, G20. Uh, can you confirm that? And would the White House rule out a possibility of a meeting before that? Uh, I will follow up on that. I, I don't have a, a date. I know that the team is working very actively with respect to, to bilateral meetings at the G20. Uh, I don't have anything for you on that, Roberta. Director Mulvaney said yesterday um, that he felt the Obama administration had been manipulating the unemployment rate. I'm wondering if that's a view that the president shares and well, what evidence is there of that? Yeah, I, I think he was clearly referring to Obamacare with the number of people. But I, I would refer you back to, to, to him and his comments with respect to um, how he characterized that. I think he can, he can discuss the precise nature of what he meant on that. Does the president feel that the Obama administration had been manipulating? I know. I think you know what the president's view is. He's made it very clear in the past what his comments were on, on how 
those numbers were, were articulated in the past. And I think there's a question between um, the total number of people that are employed and the President's comments in the past um, have reflected that his big concern was getting to the bottom of how many people are working in this country um, and that the denominator, meaning that the percentage rate of the of the total number of people is not the most accurate reflection of how many people are employed in this country. How many jobs we're creating, how many people are getting packed to work, how many companies are committing to hiring more people is a much more accurate assessment of where we're headed as a country, where our employment is, where our economy is headed. But to look at a number and say we have 4.7 or, you know, 4.8 or 5.9 percent unemployment is not necessarily an accurate reflection of how many people are actually working, seeking work, or want to work. And if you know how they conduct those surveys, there's a lot of times when people, whether they're older or younger, or because of how long they've been searching for work, are not considered statistically viable anymore, and they're washed away. So I think how you look at the percentage of people working can sometimes be a manipulated number. The number of people that are added to the roles every year, every month rather, is a much more accurate understanding of what's happening in the economy. Cecilia. Um, I just want to clarify. Uh, your answer to Major's question. So, so will the DOJ and or the administration comply with the deadline to supply information? Well, to remember, you? it's the DOJ. I mean, again, it's not the the request was made of the DOJ, and so it's the proper venue to ask that question of is the Department of Justice. But surely the White House knows whether no, we can't is, is not. No, don't you can't because it's interesting. In the past, whenever we've had these conversations with another agency, the accusation from the press corps is that we're interfering in something. So you can't have it both ways. You can't say that we're interfering with someone when we talk to them. When we don't talk to them, it's surely you must know. So in this major, hold on, hey, major, major, Cecilia's asking a question. So please, I understand that. I saw the TikTok. I understand it. That doesn't mean you get to jump in. Cecilia. To follow up on Major's point, though, this is a tweet from the president. Doesn't the president have an obligation? And he does. And I think that we've made it very Right. And we've made it very clear that we expect the House and the Senate Intelligence Committees to do their job. I think there's a preponderance of reports that continues to come out about surveillance and actions that occurred during the 2016 election. Once they come up with their report, and it was asked earlier today, I think we can talk about the conclusions of that report. But at this time, you can't say that we're going to shift it off to the House and the Senate and then comment every day. That was the entire goal of asking them to look into this further. But will the DOJ comply with I, this I, I, I I understand. My understanding is that they will. But again, I would ask them what their intention is. And I, I believe there are certain things that they can and can't do in terms of classification and stuff. But I would leave it up to the Department of Justice to answer for the Department of Justice. Caitlin. How is the press making Obamacare look good? Well, I think when you see some of these comparisons that occur in the, in the they talk about who's going to win and who's going to lose, it misses a lot of the competition that's going to take place. It doesn't talk about the increased choice. I mean, right now, as the President has noted, as Secretary Price has noted, in a third of all counties in five states, you have one choice. Th those analysis that are very trying to look at how much you'll pay and how much you won't, A, don't take into consideration the competition that's going to occur, the choice that's going to occur. I mean, right now you have one choice in, in a lot of places. You have no decision about how much you're going to pay and what you're going to get. Choice allows you to determine what scale of health care you need, what kind of package is good for you, your family, or for your business. And when you look at a lot of these analysis, when you open up various major papers, they make it seem so simple. It's, it's what are you going to get, how much are you going to get paid for in this plan, how much are you going to get paid for under the current plan. Uh, it misses an entirety of, of the whole process, which is that you don't have competition, number one. Number two, and the bigger point that I think the President and a lot of others are getting to, is that the system is failing on its own. 
it makes it seem like it's all rainbows and puppies. At the end of the day, if you have a card and you're getting a subsidy, but you're not getting care, you have nothing. And so walking into a doctor's office where you can hand them a card and say, hey, I've got a $5,000 tax subsidy. If that doctor doesn't take the care or the deductible so high, then you really don't have anything. And so to do an apples and apples comparison is hardly uh, an accurate analysis of what the current situation is. Zeke. Go back to the uh, uh, counter-ISIS plan you mentioned earlier that the plan isn't done yet. The president, during the campaign, said multiple times that within 30 days he wanted that plan presented to him. Obviously, it's undergoing comments at the National, uh, the National Security Council principles right. level. But is the, pre is the president upset that he hasn't received it yet? And does that point to a difference between campaigning and governing that things take longer than No, I, I think that there's a difference. The plan has been received, right? The issue, as you correctly point out in your question, is that now there becomes an aspect of the principles all discussing um, different priorities, different staffing levels, different funding levels. Uh, but the plan is here, as we noted a few weeks ago. It's being uh, reviewed, and, and there's providing input uh, from different members of the principals and different members of this national security apparatus to make sure that, that the plan continues to evolve and is uh, able to, to attack ISIS in a way that... Yeah, when, when, when is it actually going to take effect? Well, I mean, some pieces of it are in the sense of he has talked to uh, commanders on the ground. We've noted before some of the military action that's taken, some of the authority that's been given to some of the commanders on the ground. Uh, that is actually taking the fight to ISIS on a daily basis. I think the more holistic approach that he asked for will continue to evolve uh, through the national security process. Uh, but make no mistake, we're, we're on it right now. Sharon. Uh, thanks, Sean. Um, on the executive order this afternoon, do you have a numeric goal for either reducing the size of government or saving a certain amount of money through the review of agencies? Um, I, I don't know that Director Mulvaney has a has a target per se. I think that's part of the, the issue is that you go through each one of these and you evaluate them on the merit of what they do or don't do or whether or not they become bloated or duplicative um, or frankly just outdated um, or, in, or in need of technological advances. But there is a lot of uh, there's no set number that we're driving down to as we review government. You, sometimes you just walk into an agency and you realize that agency's mission is no longer relevant. Um, or that it's duplicative in three other agencies, um, you know, or that there are too many people performing a function that no longer exists for a variety of reasons. But that, that's why the mission is critical that Director Mulvaney was given the, the mandate to go out and get all of these different agencies and departments to review themselves uh, and to provide feedback for him as to where we could go. Gabby. Sean, um, you had said previously that the Republican health care plan wouldn't be a one-size-fits-all approach, but the current plan preserves Obamacare's um, health benefits requirements, which literally <coughs> defines insurance at the federal level. So how do you reconcile those two things? I mean, what's missing right now is choice. That, that's the, the number one issue. We, we tried to solve a problem, when I say we, the government, um, with respect to Obamacare uh, back in 2008-2009. And the issue was is that in order to solve a problem for several million people being without health care insurance, we upended the system for everybody. So if you had employer-based health care, if you had TRICARE, Medicare, Medicaid, and it was exactly the opposite approach. We went in to solve a problem that a small fraction of Americans had. And we upended the entire system, forcing premiums to go up and choice to go down for everybody. And I think that when you can institute choice and competition back in the system, that's something that's going to benefit everybody. And that's, that's exactly the opposite of what's happening. With 
phase two or three of this eliminate those requirements? I think phase two, uh, the administrative phase, will look at a lot of those requirements, and then phase three. And again, they're not necessarily they can run concurrently, and I think the House is looking at starting a lot of that legislation. Um, and so, and and Dr. Price is already starting to look through a lot of that administration, a lot of administrative. Uh, aspect of it as well at HHS and figure out how do we start to achieve some of this, unravel some of these pieces that are there. But instilling choice and competition, allowing people to buy their uh, insurance over state lines, allowing small businesses to pool, allowing the expansion of, of health savings accounts, are all of those kind of factors that are going to drive down cost, but also having the insurance companies be able, frankly, be able to offer additional choices and options for people is in itself going to be a, a huge bonus. Charlie. A lot of conservatives are complaining that, or suggesting that the president isn't doesn't fully back the Paul Ryan health care plan. Has the president spoken with Paul Ryan about the plan, and does and have they had any conversations about the, its future in Congress? Um, the um, they have spoken. Yes. Um, the um, I don't know when the last time they have, but the president's fully committed to this plan. I think you saw Secretary Price. Uh, and, and Director Mulvaney out discussing that this weekend. Um, they're committed to the plan. And, and look, I mean, Director Mulvaney made it very clear this weekend as well that if, if through the process we can find some ideas that make this a stronger, more patient-centric piece of legislation uh, that will ultimately benefit Americans, then we're going to do it. Um, that is not um, – we're not saying this is a – this is the only way forward as it works its way through the House and then ultimately through the Senate. If there are ways that we can enhance the bill through the legislative process, we're, we're willing to do that. Peter. Would you like to know? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Thank you. The President spoke to uh, the Chancellor of Germany. They agreed due to the current weather that the meeting should be postponed. The meeting has been rescheduled to March 17th this Friday. Same schedule of events on March 17th. I'll ask my, my question if I can very quickly then. On, on Thank Friday. you for your assistance you. with the. That's, that's news. Uh, you spoke on behalf of the President, quoting him on the jobs report on Friday. Yeah. You said they may have been phoning in the past, but it's very real now. I guess the question They is, are very real now. They are very real now. The question is. I just want to make sure you get it right. When should Americans trust the President? Should they trust the President? Is it phony or real when he says that President Obama was wiretapping? Well, again, let's, let's get back. I, I think there's two things that are important about. What he said, I think recognizing that it's the Obama, he doesn't really think that President Obama went up and tapped his phone personally. I think, but but I think there's a there's no question that the Obama administration that there were actions about surveillance and other activities that occurred in the 2016 election. That is a widely um, reported activity that occurred back then. The president used the word wiretap in quotes to mean broadly surveillance and other activities. Uh, during that. And that is, again, something – it is interesting how many news outlets reported that this activity was taking place during the 2016 election cycle and now are wondering where the proof is. It's, it's, it is many of the same outlets in this room that talked about the activities that were going on back then. So on the same topic, on the CBO report, did the president think it was real then and is phony now? Which CBO report? On the, on the expectation the CBO report is coming out, about which you said if you're looking at the CBO for accuracy, you're looking in the wrong place. Three years ago, you said of the CBO report that it confirms Obamacare is bad for the economy. So the question well, it is. It was bad for the economy. Okay. So the bottom line is the question no. is was it but, real then? No, 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 but, but funny, as you said, it's not the right. place. Right. So, so to let's find look at accuracy. Okay. So let's look at the CBO's projection. 
it said their projection on Obamacare was that in 2016 would have 24 million people on it. The actual figure is 10.4 million people, less the half half the number of people that it predicted would be insured we're on it and it's declining. So the only point, Peter, is to make sure that people understand if you're looking to get a bullseye accurate prediction as to where it's going, the CBO was off by more than half last time. So it's not, this is not about what my understanding or my belief of the CBO is. The last time they did this, they were wildly off and the number keeps declining. And so the question that needs to get asked right now, or frankly, the awareness that needs to be brought up right now, is that if you're going to look at a number tonight, I think you have to look through the scope of whether or not that number is. Now, it was bad for the economy. That was right. There's a, you can glean that in terms of the direction, what the impact that it had. But as far as their numbers go, on the number of people that they predicted back then would be covered now, they were off by more than half. I guess the question is, when can we trust the president when he says Wait, something's going Hold on, hold on. You real. asked a question about CBO. And now you're and now you're conflating it no, no. with the question of the president. No, I the question, the question is about why you're tapping first. Okay. And then we went on to CBO. So the question in simple terms is when he says something is when he says something, can we trust that it's real? Yes. Or should we assume that it's phony? Well, no, no. Be, suggest you, that it's real. Absolutely. How can we believe that it's real when you just told us that it was phony then? Wait, but now I it's did real. not tell you that, Peter. And you're you trying. Told us on Friday that the president said the I, president. You didn't. The president said the numbers were phony then, but they're very real now. So how can we? Trust well, I also mean I think that there's a big. He won't the, later say actually it was. Hold the on. Opposite. Hold on. I think the difference is the president was talking then and now about job creation, the number of jobs. The issue that he brought up in the quote that you're talking about was the percentage of people who are unemployed. And there is no question that no matter how you look at this, whether you talk about 4.7 or 4.8 or whatever the number is, that number is fluctuates by how people calculate who's in the workforce. Okay, Peter, let me answer the question. You're not. Let me answer it. The bottom line is the percentage of people who are unemployed varies widely by who you're asking and the way you do the analysis of who's actually in the workforce. The number of people who are working and receiving a paycheck is a number that we can look at. Secondly, when you're asking about the validity of the CBO report, again, I refer you to the CBO itself. The number that they issued that would be insured in 2016 was 26 million people. The actual number is 10 point, excuse me, 24 million. The actual number is 10.4. That's not a question of our credibility, it's a question of theirs. Do you have anything more? The bottom line is, the question that you still have not answered is, can, we, can, you say, can you say affirmatively that whenever the president sends something, we can trust it to be real? If he's not joking, of course. I mean, but in that case, hold on, but but no, no, you're asking, hold on. Okay, no, no, but your point is, if he's, ha I mean, he, every time that he speaks authoritatively, he, that he speaks, he's, that he's speaking as President of the United States. Like it's a, more than three million Americans voted illegally. Was yes, that, and he, he still speaking? believes that. Was he joking that. or does he believe it? He does believe it. Thank you. Julie. I have a healthcare question, but first, can we just get a, an answer one way or the other about whether the President directed the Department of Justice to respond to this? No, he did not. So, and he does he plan to answer the question. Okay, so on health care, um, Secretary Price said on Sunday that nobody will be worse off financially and more people will be covered than are currently with the plan that you guys are pushing. Mm -hmm. um, Paul Ryan acknowledged that people are going to lose coverage. So what is the goal here? As the You just said you're open to modifications to the plan if you find that there's a better way to do it. Is the goal that people not lose coverage or is the goal that... Well, again, but, but there's a false argument there, which is that they have coverage. People have cards. They've been told they have things, but they can't. They keep walking in. The president met with nine individuals this morning. 
that you're you're told they're going to get coverage for something. They are told that they're going to have all of these subsidies. They walk in and they don't get covered. They don't have the care that they need. There is a difference between walking around with someone and saying, hey, I've got a card, then I have care. And that's a big, big difference. Right now, when you have a third of the counties in this country that have one choice and going down and number of, of insurers leaving markets, then it's a, the, the system is collapsing. So the question that has to be to everybody who's not with us on this is what is your alternative? Because right now, the current system of Obamacare is failing every American who has Obamacare. And frankly, for those who don't have Obamacare, for those who have employer-based insurance, for those who have you know, TRICARE, Medicare, it's driving up the costs. And in the cases, especially for those who have Medicaid, Medicare, or TRICARE, they're going into doctor's offices more and more who are telling them, we don't accept that. Quality and about cost. I'm asking about coverage. Yeah, but that's the point, is that you're missing the point. If you keep talking about coverage, care is what matters. If you can't walk in and get seen, if you can't get a doctor to see you, then you don't have coverage. I mean, that, that's, that's what this is all about. Being told you have coverage, but you can't go see a doctor or you can't afford to see a doctor is not coverage. John Gizzi. Thank you, Sean. I have two questions. Uh, first, Democratic leader Pelosi said on Friday that every single Democrat would vote against the American health care plan, the plan backed by members, Republican members of Congress and the administration. The Freedom Caucus in the House has come out for Senator Paul's plan. When one simply does the arithmetic of Democratic members and Freedom Caucus members, that's a majority against the plan. Uh, how does the administration plan to overcome the arithmetic? Well, we're going to continue to work with members of the House and then eventually the Senate. I feel very good as, as the President continues to engage with members um, that we will have the votes necessary. I think Speaker Ryan agrees with that as well. Uh, we're going to have the votes, the single pass, and we'll move on to the Senate. The other question is this. Uh, in recent weeks, there's been considerable attention on the upcoming elections in the Netherlands on Wednesday and in France in a few weeks. Candidates Gert Wilders of the Netherlands was here for the CPAC conference. Uh, as representatives of Maureen Le Pen of France were here. Many analogies were made between these candidates and President Trump, and they offered words of praise for him or did so through their representatives. Is he aware of these candidates in Europe who invoke his name and image? And if so, what does he think of these would-be Trumps and Trumpettes? Uh, I, I, I don't know the answer to that. Uh, I think most of these are will, will allow sovereign nations to have their own elections without interference from us. Alexis. Sean, can I follow up on uh, sure. Peter and Julie's questions? T two issues again. Um, whether the President and um, Director Mulvaney put a lot of faith in the Congressional Budget Office, members of the Senate will when they get, if they get, legislation from the House. So my question is, what does the President and the administration intend to do to establish to Senator satisfaction that the numbers coming out of the Congressional Budget Office, which the President will question, are not substantial and can be countered by other information? In other words, is OMB doing its own score? Is the President relying on a think tank to counter the messaging because Senators are are already indicating that they will put weight in the CBS yeah. score. And, and again, I think this is part of an ongoing discussion with members 
uh, as far as philosophical, what do they believe um, in a lot of these aspects? Is this plan in keeping with what they have supported in the past? Uh, obviously, they're, they're going to look at the score. I get it. Um, that's part of it. And there are pieces of it that they may, um, you know, historically have more weight in than others. But I think this is going to be, as I mentioned to John, I mean, it's an ongoing conversation with members of the House and ultimately the Senate um, with respect to whatever comes out. But in the same way that, that members relied on the score last time, they were way off. And I think that we have to remind them that, you know, is, if this is what you're basing your, your vote on, um, you, you know, you have to look at, you know, the historical context in which that information was provided. I think that's an important, um, you know, aspect to, to how they do it. But there's, I think there's going to be a ton of factors that people rely on as they, as they do this. Yeah, Can I yeah I have of course. Um, I may be confused about the wiretapping, your answers, in terms of the President's response. The President was the one who tweeted this, right, and said that he had learned something. So can you just establish for me, because I'm confused, the President did discuss what it is that he had in mind when he tweeted with the Department of Justice before the Department responded. I'm not going to, no, I'm not going to get into what the President knew or didn't know prior to it. I think we, we've already commented on this but, multiple but times. Department of Justice have any idea? I, I don't know. This was a request made of the House Intelligence Committee, not to us. So I, I don't want to get into starting to parse what we knew or what we did. That request did not come to us. It went to the Department of Justice. Yeah. Thanks, John. Um, Congressman Steve King, this country's a flag for a tweet, but I'm yeah. saying that you know, we can't restore our civilization with somebody else's babies. Does the White House have any reaction to that? I, I will definitely touch base with the President on that and get back to you on that. Hallie. Sean, for you. I just want to go back to something. You just said a minute ago that, you know, what the President meant when he tweeted about the wiretapping was, and you sort of explained it. But you've also stood at that podium and said the tweet speaks for itself. When do you decide when a president's tweets, when his words are open to interpretation, and when those words stand on their own? I, I, in terms, I mean, I'm sorry, can you further explain what you're at? I mean, his tweets do speak for themselves. So okay, but you just sort of interpreted it for Peter, saying, well, he didn't mean that President Obama no, had that, he did, when he that's said not what I said. No, 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 actually. You said when he, when he, you said when he meant wiretapping, right. he said it, he meant surveillance. No, no, because he, he literally he had it in quotes. So you're interpreting the tweet for us, it sounds like. No, in some cases I'll ask him what did the quotes mean, and he'll say, did you ask about this I did. What did he say? He said they were in quotes. It was referring to surveillance overall. Uh, it's something that had been referred to in, in other reports. Um, so he cited other reports in his conversation with you. He did, yes. So is that what he was basing that tweet on? Was I'm, I'm not, as I just mentioned, it was a good try, but I, I've already been clear on that. Yeah. 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 Just yeah. Actually, I just have a go second number for you, Sean. I want to go back to this health care idea. Just yes or no, are CBO numbers <clears throat> legitimate or not? I, that's not my determination to make. I'm telling, as I mentioned, no, no, I, I, it depends. Hallie, it depends. There are a lot of things that see. Hold on, Hallie, you guys have like an NBC thing. Let me, let me answer the question. It's, I think when you look at the, whatever that number is, whether it's budget projections or whatever, I think there's a track record that goes along a lot of times with whether or not the projections in certain areas, whether it's unemployment, budgetary numbers, uh, whatever are, what the track record is. All I'm suggesting to you is very clearly that the numbers that they did the last time they did health care were off by more than 50% when it came to the number of people insured. That's not my interpretation. That's a fact. And I think it's important for people to understand the differences. Amen. I guess there are two possibilities here. One is that the president made a commitment to keep him on back in November, and the other one is that he didn't. Preet Bharara came down to the lobby of Trump Tower and said that the president had made that commitment. Did the president, in fact, make that commitment to Preet Bharara? I, I, I don't think it really matters. At the end of the day, the attorney general followed the practice that existed for the last several administrations and asked every attorney general from the last administration to, to submit their resignation. So, I mean, it's, it is... 
investigations, and it also matters in the sense that uh, the president made a commitment. If he made a commitment, why did he change his mind? Why did he go back on that? Well, again, I, as I mentioned earlier, he called him to thank him for his service last week. Uh, he followed in the past practice of set last several administrations and asked everybody to step down, and I think that's that's the appropriate thing. Yeah. Sean, but what changed thank between you. November and now? Uh, Jeff, there's, uh, I'd call on someone. Thank Sean, you. Sean, thank you. Ronica Cleary yeah. from Fox 5. Thank you. I have two questions. Mm -hmm. um, the first, I think especially in light of what has happened in the room here today, the president tweeted this morning that much of the media is being rude and that we should be nice. So That's my nice. question is, is it our job to be nice and do you think we're nice? Uh, I, as I've, well, thank you, Veronica. Uh, I, I will just leave it at this. I think that I've been asked for my personal opinion several times. That's not my job. I don't get up here um, to, to speak for myself. I speak for the president. Um, I, I think that he has been very clear that he doesn't believe some of the behavior and the reporting um, has been appropriate. And, uh, and as to, to Hallie's point, I will let the tweet speak for itself. Second, Veronica, number second two. Second question. Second question. Um, so you, but this is about you, uh, the interaction you had at the Apple store this weekend. What would be, I guess, your message to individuals who want to maybe, I, I see that woman was, you could argue, very aggressive. If somebody doesn't want to be aggressive and has a question for you, what would be your kind of message to a regular citizen that has an issue? Ask it. I interact with individuals all day long. 99% uh, of them are pleasant, even with people who may not agree uh, with uh, our philosophy, our programs, or whatever. Um, but it's a free country, and the beauty of it is that people can act how they want, no matter how that's interpreted. And as long as they step on the, stay on the right side of the First Amendment, uh, we're good. Francesca. Thank you, Sean. Uh, you said that when the president said wiretapping in that tweet, he meant a whole host of surveillance types. So that we can be crystal clear, what surveillance types was he referring to then? What would you consider part of that range? Well, I mean, I think there is, there's a whole host of uh, tactics uh, that can be used to monitor somebody, um, either through wiretap or other, other ways in which you can surveil somebody. We took uh, that to mean monitoring his calls specifically. Well, then so I, what else would you include? I, I think there are, there's a whole host of things that, that fall into that category. So I'm not sure how you took it, but I think there is a a wide range of ways in which somebody can be monitored or uh, or followed up on. And, and I think that if you contacted, you know, one of the law enforcement agencies, they will provide you with a whole host of ways. Thank you all. Be safe tomorrow with the snow. Thank you very much. Take care. Stay safe. Are you briefing tomorrow?